Joshua chapter 9. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on the side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowlands and all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. So all of these nations that normally are at war with each other can find unity when they're warring against the Lord and against his people. It's always amazing uh, how that works. But it was rather wise of them because they did take out Jericho. They did take out Ai. And these guys realized if we just let them pick us off one by one, we don't have a chance. Let's unify together. And maybe in a unified army, uh, we would have a chance against the, the armies of Israel. And so they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with this one accord. And in verse 3, But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily. And they pretended to be ambassadors, and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins uh, torn and mended, old patched sandals on their feet, old garments on their, themselves, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said to them and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. So, you know, we're, we're, we're living a long ways outside the borders of the promised land. And, but at the same time, we're going to be your neighbors. And uh, so let's, let's make it a covenant that uh, we're going to be neighbors, even though you're, you know, we're in, we're in different parts of the, uh, we're not in the same country. Nevertheless, we can be neighbors and, and have a covenant. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you dwell amongst us. So how can we make a covenant with you? Maybe you're tricking us here. That was their first thought. And they said to Joshua, oh, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? So their intuition was right here. And they said to him, oh, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord, your God. And we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion, king of Hishbon and Og, king of Bashan, uh, who uh, was of the Asherah. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for your journey, and to meet them, and to say to them, We are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. And the bread of, our, uh, the bread of ours we took hot for our provisions from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. Outright lie. And now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which were filled were new, and see, they are torn, and these garments of our sandals, behold, old because of a very long journey, all lies. And the men of Israel took some of the provisions, and they did not ask counsel of the Lord. That's the key right there. They used their senses, what they could see, touch, feel. They did not take counsel of the Lord. And so Joshua made peace with them, made a covenant with them, to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation, notice this, swore to them. And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were neighbors who dwelt near them, about 20 miles away from where they were at at this time. And the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day, and now their cities were Gibeon, uh, Shephra, Baroth, and 
uh, Jethroth Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And notice in verse, in verse 18, all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, uh, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the ruler said to them, let them live and let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. I want to stop right there. This interesting story of the Gibeonites. Now, first of all, I need to make a note that these guys were walking in faith. I mean, they they didn't have the the knowledge of God. They didn't have the character of a believer. But they knew where they wanted to get. And that was submitted unto the God of Israel. Now you say, well, how do we know that? Because as we continue to go through the, the chronological order of the Old Testament, the Gibeonites are right along there the whole way. And guess what? We, we always see them submitted. We see these kings, we see these great cities, we see these great people. They humble themselves and they truly do become servants. And we see them Uh, just constantly uh, being um, servants, interesting to the priest. So it's, it's interesting. Not only do these guys become servants to Israel, but they actually get access to the temple that the children of Israel don't even get. The priest and the Gibbonites get it. They're there always around. And, and David writes in the Psalm, it's better to be a, a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked, referring to these Gibeonites who, by a crafty way, not only come in and stay alive, but they they end up in a very sort of intimate, close place with the the things of God. But, you know, you you see the people of Jericho, remember, when they they came and they saw Rahab, and and she said, all the people know you're going to win this battle. All our hearts are melting within us. We heard what happened in Egypt and we heard the same story uh, with, the, with Sion and Og. And we, we know that God's with you. God's giving you this land. There is zero chance of us winning. We know that. But yet, what did the people of Jericho do? They still fought. They still resisted. But yet these people, they walk in faith. And again, how they got there, was it right? No. But, you know, that's the way they and their um, non-Christian, if you would, or non-believing, their, their immoral way of reasoning and dealing with life in a deceptive way was the best they had to, to come on in. Now, if you, you study in the Old Testament, um, when they make a promise and swear, God expects them to keep it. In the New Testament, Jesus said, just don't make promises like that. Don't swear, because you're just going to get yourself into a trouble. But here they swore, and interesting there in verse 20, they realize we have to keep our oath lest the wrath uh, of God comes upon us. Sure enough, 
In 2 Samuel 21, Saul, King Saul, sort of looks at this oath made hundreds of years before him and says, I don't think we should have got stuck with these guys. They deceived us and, you know, they... They slithered in, and, and now here we are hundreds of years later, and we're stuck with these guys, and, and I, I don't like it, and I'm, I'm not going oh, to honor that oath anymore. And he begins to mistreat the Gibeonites, and sure enough, the wrath of God <laughs> comes upon the children of Israel. And when David comes to king, he's like, Lord, what's going on? And God said, you're not honoring your oath with the Gibeonites, and I expect you to honor that oath. Interesting, later on, after the children of Israel are carried away to Babylon, and then they come back to rebuild uh, the, the city of Jerusalem that had been torn down. Hardly anybody came back. Out of the millions of people, only 50,000 people came back. But you know who a large group of those people were? Gibeonites. And then in the book of Nehemiah, when they begin rebuilding the wall, Who do we have strongly represented there to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem? The Gibeonites. And so as as weird as this story is, and as you read this and it sounds like a sales pitch, oh, we know your God's the great God and, you know, he's the one who, you know, has caused you to have success and we just want to submit to him and submit to you and be your servants. It sounds like a sales pitch, but as time bore out, They really did mean it. It really was the truth of their heart. Although they lied and deceived right after that. Look at our bread and our clothes and so forth. It was just a big lie. But nevertheless, uh, their heart of of wanting to uh, submit unto the children of Israel and the leadership uh, of God, that truly was uh, what was in their heart. And as time bears out, that's exactly what happened. But notice there at the end of verse 18, and all the congregation complained uh, against the rulers. (laughs) You you know, life's life's a messy business, isn't it? You know, we often can, can picture a perfect world and how it should be. And we often want to look at others and say, I can picture a perfect wife or a perfect husband or a perfect clean house or you know, uh, everything working, and and we never get perfection, do we? I think God has given us the ability to think of perfection to cause us to long for heaven. But we can never attain to that perfection. I've seen a couple times in houses that, you know, they have a plaque that says, Lord, bless this mess. And uh, that's, that's pretty accurate, because that's sort of what we bring to the table on a pretty regular basis is, is you know, sort of a messy way uh, of getting there. But here's the children of Israel going, guys, it would have been so easy to, to figure out where these guys came from. It wouldn't have been that much effort. You could have given it just a couple of days. We would have found out. They were just right over uh, 20 miles away. But yet... Even though they suspected it, they're like, ah, this doesn't look right. I think you guys are deceiving us. They all had those inclinations, but yet they they didn't do due diligence and and figure that out. And they made the covenant in, in a rash, brash, quick way. 
But yet, you know, the, the children of Israel are going, come on. You know, first we have the, the, the whole situation with Jericho where you send two spies in. No spies needed to be sent in. But yet God worked that out where it ended up Rahab and all her household were, were saved. But what do you have with you now? And the children, in, in the family of Israel, you got this prostitute and these pagans and all of their family hanging out. And you're going, this is messy. But what do we discover? Eventually, Rahab ends up being the greatest Jew of all Jews, King David's grandma. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, the Lord was in that, even though it was messy and, and it doesn't look right. And, you know, we sort of got this dysfunctional thing happening here. We got this lady who survived the Jericho, this prostitute with her family. It, it, it's messy looking. But yet it was the Lord. Even though it wasn't really right, God turned it around for good and worked in the midst of it. And then you remember the very next story. The guys come and say, oh, that little town of Ahai. You know, just let everybody take a, a vacation and just send a few men up there. And, you know, as good as we are, you know, it's mighty men of valor. We'll take that out. And everybody else can just, you know, be down sipping tea and hanging out, playing horseshoes. And, you know, we'll take care of this. And they go up and they lose and people die. And, and here the first time uh, in, the, in the battle of Israel, we have people that are fatherless and sonless and brotherless and people died and it was, it was horrendous. And Joshua is just distraught. He's like, I quit. I just want to go back to Egypt. Like the children of Israel who had died in the generation before him, he was just spewing all of this murmuring and complaining, lack of faith. And, and God says, Joshua, get up. And in essence, he tells him, you know, remember when you were heading to Jericho and you were looking to try to figure out and I stood there as a soldier and said, hey, take off your sandals, this is holy ground. Here's the plan. I stopped you and it was an abrupt thing. I had a sword out at your face and, and I made it clear to you. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Quit making plans. You're following my plans. I'm not joining and blessing your plans. You're following my plans and they will be blessed. And then the very next battle, the guys make a plan without the Lord. Don't get counsel of the Lord. And it's a horrible mess. And God says, Joshua, get up. There's sin in the camp. And, and remember that story where they end up having to take a whole day marching everybody several times in front of the leaders until it comes to Achan. And he had wrongfully taken some of the spoil of Jericho. And, and eventually him and his household were all killed. And it was just a, a messy thing. And then you got all of his relatives and the suffering there of this horrendous loss, having to stone him to death and burn him. And, and it was just, again, it's just, it's abrupt. It's heavy. And there you got Rahab and her family watching this thing, you know, stoning this guy aching because they took some of the stuff from Jericho. And well, we're from Jericho and, you know, and if, if the gold and silver and the cloth from Jericho is accursed, what, what are you guys thinking of us? Well, you got it, you know, and, and it's, it's a messy business. And then they inquire of God and God gives them his plan and they have victory. But it's, it's this thing that's rough and messy and, and all they have to do is stop. And, and notice there it says they did not receive the counsel of the Lord. Verse 14, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. You, you, you know, you just sort of thought they would have gotten it. 
You know, the 40 years in the wilderness, I mean, that was just sort of a repeated thing. Get counsel from the Lord. What do we see many times with Moses? Moses would be presented with this situation and he would say, I don't know, we've got to ask the Lord. And sometimes it was Moses, sometimes Moses, Joshua, sometimes the whole leaders, and they went and they inquired of the Lord. Sometimes it was a day, sometimes it was days. And they would get the counsel of the Lord and they'd say, here's the will of the Lord. That was Moses' example. And boy, Joshua had that ingrained in him. But now as a leader, it's just not sinking in. And it hasn't sunk in with the other leaders. And and it's causing people to be disheartened. It's causing things to, to, to not go right. And now here they have this big giant chunk of Israel that should be conquered and the houses and the cities and the land given over to the children of Israel as their, as their possession, and now they can't do it. Now those cities and those farms and those lands, the Gibeonites get to keep them. And the children of Israel that were going to move in, remember they all had their portion and their allotment. Well, that portion and allotment now is not going to be Israel's. It's going to remain to the Gibeonites. And the children of Israel, there it says in verse 18, all the congregation complained against the rulers. You know, the the first thing I would just point out is that we're human. (laughs) And with that just comes a lot of error, a lot of mistakes. It takes a lot of work to have relationships, doesn't it? I mean, that's the the one thing you, you discover You know, marriage, it just takes so much work. Trying to keep relationship with your kids, it's just almost an unending battle. And then again, with your parents, and then with your friends. And, and you know, the the, the thing is, is when you you come to church and get to know people after a while, you you see all of the the junk as well. And, you know, I I know I've been to churches and uh, in different seasons of my life, and I've gone, and everything is wonderful, you know? I don't really know anybody. And it's just everything is great, and everything's perfect. And then you start getting involved, and you start to get to know people, and you're going, ah, you know, I, I liked it better when I was just ignorant. But you can't have intimate relationships unless you start to know people and, and you get to know them with all of the, the warts and all, right? And, and so there, there's just sort of a mentality that we have to, to get past and understand that, yes, together, it's, a, it's, it's not a smooth ride. It's a messy business. But at the same time, what do we discover? That God is greater than us. That God is greater than our mess. That God's greater than our shortcomings and our failures. Not to say that we don't want to minimize that because we do reap what we sow. But at the same time, you know, the children of Israel in essence have to get over it. They have to realize as much as we want Joshua to be a Moses, he's never going to be that. As much as you want the children of Israel or the rulers of Israel to be more spiritual and to have thought on their own to get counsel from God and and inquire of the Lord and say, thus says the Lord concerning the Gibbonites, it's sort of a no-brainer, isn't it? I mean, this isn't isn't some, you know, super difficult concept. This should have been, uh, you know, ABCs for these guys at this point. But they didn't do it. And so often... 
You're going to find that with people. And that's why in the church, you just have to constantly have just a radical grace towards one another. Because nobody bats a thousand. Nobody's going to be perfect. And often, people are just miss the most obvious things. And, uh, you know, when somebody tells you, it's like, you know, you could have done this or that. It's like, what in the world was I thinking? How did I miss that? I, I can't believe it, you know, but yet that's us in our, in our human nature. And so here we, we see that, yeah, the children were upset with the rulers and for good reason, but at the same time, it is what it is. And uh, they made a covenant they shouldn't have made. They, they've got these Gibeonites uh, now uh, uh, going to be living in the promised land where God had given them the clear command. Remember back in Deuteronomy? Make, make no covenant with any of the people. And here's an out and out um, error against what the Lord had, had done. But nevertheless, even in this, we see that as time bears out, that these people humbled themselves, even though they were kings and and had great cities and uh, they were this wealthy, educated society. They humbled themselves and indeed became just woodcutters and water carriers. And not only just for the children of Israel, but they end up getting a, a, a very dominant place in the temple, ministering unto the priest, strengthening their hands to do all uh, the work of the ministry. And uh, quite a, quite an interesting thing. And, you know, I, I've used this story on, on numbers of occasions who, where people sort of look at how they ended up married. And they're like going, you know, if I knew what I knew now, I never would have married that person two years ago or 10 years ago. And I see now the whole thing was sort of manipulated by my family or their family or my circumstances at the time. And, you know, here I am. And, you know, the the thing is, is that, you know what, you may have a Gibeonite marriage. (laughs) But the the point is, is that you've made that covenant. You've got to keep that covenant. And if both of you will submit yourself to the Lord, you'll, you'll be amazed how that you know, life is short. Marriage doesn't go on through eternity. There's no marriage in heaven, Jesus said. Just abide on this planet. Remain submitted to God. And, and God will use you. Even, even in this imperfect marriage or this messy situation with the kids. Or, or maybe, again, with, I've seen people get into business situations or house situations or financial situations. And you're just like, you know, I was deceived into that. I was told this and it really it wasn't that and and now I'm stuck with this car sick with you know hey you know what get your eyes on the Lord and and even in this honor your covenants and God will turn this around for good well in verse 22 Joshua called for them and he spoke to them saying why have you deceived us saying we are from a very far out from you and you dwell near us. Now therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, water carriers for the house of my God. <laughs> and they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you, therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. Now, here we are. 
in your hands. Do with us as seems good and right to do to, to us. And he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel. So they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers from the congregation for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. And as I mentioned in the psalm, David's like, those Gibeonites, man, I want to be a Gibeonite. Those guys just radically got the sweet deal uh, in this situation. And again, why? Because we discover in time they really did believe that the God of Israel was God and they really did believe they needed to submit their lives to him and it continued from generation to generation. Now in chapter 10, it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, now it's interesting because that would translates the Lord of righteousness. <laughs> this guy was anything but a righteous guy, but that's what he named himself. And interesting, he was the king of Jerusalem. And as you go on in the story, it's, it's a very interesting picture of the Antichrist who one day is going to declare himself the Lord of righteousness, if you would, from Jerusalem. And so this king of righteousness from Jerusalem heard how Joshua had taken Ai, had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, and he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. So in his mind, Israel just strengthened their military force with all of the cities of the Gibeonites, and now they're even a stronger army yet. And they feared greatly. Because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its inhabitants, all its men were mighty. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Horam, king of Hebron, uh, Byram, king of Jaramuth, uh, Japhi, the king of Lachish, Deborah, the king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it had made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. So while the children of Israel are still 20 miles away, let's attack the, the, the cities of Gibeon so we at least weaken the children of Israel as they're gaming steam. As they start moving that way, they're going to gather the, the children of Gibeon to join their army forces. So let's, let's divide and conquer before uh, they're able to merge together as one army. Now, we have no indication that the Gibeonites ever were going to do that, but that was the thinking of these people at this time. So come and help me right now attack Gibeon. Uh, and in verse 5, Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jaramoth, the king of Lachesh, the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, and they and all their armies encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent uh, to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. Now, if you think about it, this was not a part of their covenant. I think it was a spirit of their covenant, but Joshua said, we won't kill you. He didn't say we won't let somebody else kill you. <laughs> and so this could have been saying, hey, here's a technicality. Yeah, you know what? We'll just stand back and let these guys wipe you out. Uh, and then that will equal the playing field because uh, we didn't kill you, but your neighbors did. But yet the spirit of that covenant, uh, Joshua kept. And so he grabbed his mighty men of valor. And in verse 8 
The Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. So notice the Lord now giving his counsel to Joshua. And not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came up on them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. He's basically going 330 feet straight up above sea level, a 20-mile walk uphill. So he grabs these guys. They march 20 miles uphill all night, ascending from basically below sea level all the way up to 300 or 3,300 feet above sea level from Gilgal to Gibeon. And the Lord rooted them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter, and Gibeon uh, chased um, them among the road that goes to Beth Horn and struck them down as far as Ashka and Mikada. And it happened as they uh, fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ashka, and they died. Listen to this. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Boy, it takes on a whole nother concept. The Lord will fight for you, huh? And Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon, moon in the valley of Ahalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenged upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So uh, the sun stood still in the midst of the heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And so here in another book that's mentioned, we don't have in the Bible, a historical book about this. It's interesting that uh, throughout the world, um, it, it, it appears that people saw this extended day uh, in various parts of the world. How did God do it? Uh, what happened? There's a lot of speculation that the Lord slowing things down and starting things up is how we ended up with the 23 and 3rd uh, axis of the earth and um, all kinds of other dynamics within the universe happened because of this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of uh, scientists that think they have some insight, but either way, God did it. But you know, th- this is the life of faith. When you're walking in the spirit, your mind creates prayers that you never would have prayed otherwise. You know, it's, it's always amazing when, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be telling somebody what's going on and sharing it and they'll going, well, have you prayed about it yet? And I'm like, uh, no. Well, you are the pastor. Shouldn't you have thought of that? And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm so ashamed. Yeah, you know, let's pray. It, it's so hard sometimes in your flesh, you know, to just stop and, and to say, okay, you know, Instead of trying to, in my own strength, figure it out how to manipulate it and solve this problem, just to stop and say, God, what is your plan? But here in this story, if you would, we sort of get to see what's always been happening. You know, the children of Israel went down with their spears and their swords, and they were just these slaves that had come out of Egypt. They had no military training. They had no ability to do this, but yet... When they were out there, their sword was amazing. Their spear was amazing. But now we realize if we could see into the spiritual realm, the Lord was supernaturally giving them ability militarily, wasn't it? It wasn't them. Remember the very first story there in Exodus 17 where Joshua was down in the valley fighting against the Amalekites and 
And, and Moses had his hands lifted up. And as long as his hands were lifted up, they prevailed. When his hands came down, they failed. And Moses had to keep his hands up from the early morning till the sun went down. And then he said, write this in the sight of Joshua. Why? Because Joshua is coming back going, man, you know, guess all those years of lifting all those giant, uh, you know, construction stuff has really strengthened us. And, you know, all those Egyptians spending all those hours figuring out how to be military men. We didn't even need that. We were awesome right from the beginning. And then he's looking at this going, had nothing to do with your spear, your sword. It was spiritual. It was Moses interceding for you is what brought the victory. And how humbling that must have been for Joshua. And and then other people hear it going, wow, it wasn't us. It was the Lord. And here, this is sort of a a, a clear picture. I mean, hailstones coming down. That that wasn't any part of it from man. But really, it was 100% God brought the victory before this, even though man might have been a part of it. It was really the Lord that brought the victory. And in this case, we see... You take man completely out of the picture with the hailstones. It was the Lord. And then Joshua just has this heart of faith to, to believe this ridiculous thing. And God meets him in his faith. In James it says, we receive not because what? We just ask not. And, and I've, I've seen people just believe God for just radical things. And, and I'm just thinking, that's sort of foolish. And then to see God answer their prayer going, eee, I'm the foolish one. And, uh, you know, God doesn't answer all our prayers. He answers according to his will. But the Bible says, worst case scenario, when we don't pray according to his will, what? He doesn't hear us. It's not like he punishes us or gets mad at us or he's all down on us. Why are you asking so much? Lay off, man. You're asking stuff all the time. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, ask, keep on asking. See, keep on seeking, not keep on knocking. God is like saying, keep it flowing, man. Keep it flowing. I'm gonna say no, I'm gonna say wait, but I'm gonna be saying yes too. And we see Jesus, when he talks to the multitude and people are asking him things, he just says, be it unto you according to your faith. And there's lame people that get up and lepers leave and are healed and blind eyes open and, and the dead are received back to life again. And, and, you know, be it unto you according to your faith. And I think in, in a lot of places in the world where there is no answer of man, especially in the poor parts of the world, where it is God comes through or I'm dead, period. There is no plan B, C, or D. Or, you know, I'm working on plan A, B, and C, but God, if you want to throw in your plan D, but if you don't come through, don't worry. I'm still working on A, B, and C over here. You know, when when we have those backup plans, we often don't just fully say, Lord. But here we see in this story where, where Joshua's heart is full and he's just like, Lord, this, this is sweet. This is a sweet battle. You know, we're just having such tr- tremendous victory. God promised not one of them uh, would be lost. That He said uh, there in the end of verse 8, not a man of them shall stand before you. In other words, no one's going to beat you. And so it's just complete victory. And, and they're just enjoying this victory. And, and Joshua's saying, uh, you know what? This battle's going to continue tomorrow uh, if, if the sun goes down. We just want it to keep going. And, and just think of the strength of God. These guys haven't slept all night. They marched, literally, 
20 miles uphill from below sea level to 3,300 feet above sea level. They show up and the battle is starting the moment they show up. And they've got strength to start fighting and they continue to fight all day uh, until the sun's setting. And they still have strength. They still want the battle to keep going. And it's just an amazing thing on so many angles to see how the Lord is strengthening them and, and giving them victory. And here he, he says in the book of Jasher, another historical book, that this isn't a, a mythological story. This is a historical fact. And in verse 14, And there, is not, there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to camp at Gilgal. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave of Machedah. And it was told Joshua saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave of Machedah. And Joshua had said, roll a large stone against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard it. And, and do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities for the Lord our God has delivered them into our, in your hand. And so it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter uh, till they had finished that those who escaped entered fortified cities and all the people returned to camp and Joshua at Machedah in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. And Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring out the five kings to me from the cave. And they did so and they brought out those five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmoth, the king of Lachesh, the king of Eglon. And so it was when they had brought out these kings to Joshua that Joshua called all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with them, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. So come here, you young guys. You know, you young, you young men of valor. And here's this king and all his charisma and his royal robes and his crown. And he's just like, put your foot right on his neck. And notice what Joshua said in verse 25. Joshua said to them, I love this. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. You guys remember this? Those who have been with Joshua? The Lord had to tell Joshua this three times. Then the children of Israel told Joshua that three times. And then after the defeat of Ai, God has to say it again. And Joshua this is just not getting it. But now we see Joshua is now become that man himself who's no longer dismayed. This man who is of, of strong and of good courage himself. And now he's discipling others, if you would. As the Lord has discipled him, saying, you don't, don't be afraid. Be this mighty man of valor that God's made you to be. For the, thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against him you fight. So don't be dismayed by anybody, no matter how great or royal or powerful they might have been. They're nothing before our God. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on the five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. Uh, Remember earlier, we saw curses, everyone on the tree. This is a sign of just basically saying they're a cursed of God. 
And it was at the time of going down to the sun that Joshua commanded that they took them down from the trees and cast them into the cave where they had been hidden and the large stone against the cave mouth, which remained until this very day. And on that day, Joshua took Machadah and struck it and his king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them and all the people who were with it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Machadah as he had done to the king of Jericho. And Joshua passed from Machadah and all the children, uh, all the El of Israel with him to uh, Libna and they fought against Libna and the Lord also delivered its king and its hand of it to the hand of Israel struck it and all the people who were with him were, were in it with the edge of the sword he let none remain in it but did to his kings as he had done to the king of Jericho Joshua passed from Libna and all the children of Israel at Lachish and they had camped against it and fought against it verse 32 and the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel who took it to the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword according to all that he had done to Libna. Then Horam, the king of Geriza, uh, Gezer, came up and helped Lachish and Joshua struck him and his people and he let, uh, none of, let him none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon and all the children or all of Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it and took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people were in it, readily destroyed it the day according to all that had been done in Lachish. And Joshua went up from Eglon and all of Israel with him to Hebron, and they fought against it. They took it and struck it at the edge of the sword, its kings and all its cities and all the people who were in it. And he left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon and destroyed it. And all the people were in it. And Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to Deber. And they fought against it. And he took it and his kings and all its cities. And he struck uh, them with the edge of the sword. And utterly destroyed all the people who were with it. He let none remaining as he had done to Hebron. He had did to Deber and his king. He had done also to Libna and his king. And listen to verse 40. So Joshua conquered all the land. Amazing. A matter of days, maybe weeks God had brought a complete victory. Now, we're going to learn more about this as we go on in Joshua, especially in the Judges, that the area was dominated, but then it was up to each tribe, according to their faith, to to finish conquering their possession. And we'll see that some of the tribes had faith and some didn't. But the mountain country in the south and the lowlands and the wilderness slopes and all their kings, he left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that had breathed and the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon, and all the kings in their land. And Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. And so there we see that finally when they got past the point of, uh, of working in their own strength and their own insights, they began to inquire of God and get God's plan and operating in God's power and God's strength. And they got on that roll. They just began to see victory after victory and God bring about a complete uh, victory, and they knew it was the Lord. And, and it's interesting that all the countries knew it was the Lord. It wasn't a matter of fighting against Israel and these people. It was fighting against the Lord. And God brought them into the land as he had promised. God gave them the land as he had promised. And of course, uh, this is just sort of a, a quick outline. We're going to see uh, more detail uh, as we move on. But let's pray here tonight. Lord, we thank you again as we go through your word. 
that uh, we know as we meditate on these things that you are going to bring to mind to us how this applies in, in our life, in our situation. And, and we thank you, Lord, that even though the leaders don't always do exactly what they're supposed to do, that you're, you're in the midst of us. Lord, we just ask that, you, that all of us would have in our heart to pray for the leadership. Pray for wisdom. Pray for them to have a spiritual heart, to think to pray and to think to inquire of the Lord. And Lord, we just also ask, God, that we would hear your heart and your mind concerning uh, the decisions we have in front of us. We're in a crazy time in the history of mankind, but uh, definitely a unique point in time in the history of our country. And how many people right now have their battles to conquer with their situation, with their possessing their possessions. And how more than ever we need to hear your mind. More than ever we need to hear your plan. We thank you for the promise that you've given us that you would provide our needs according to your riches and glory. That, that we don't need to worry about where we're going to eat or drink or where. But that you would provide as we seek you first in your kingdom. All these things would be added to us according to your provisions. Bringing manna out of heaven or taking a few little loaves and fishes from a little boy and breaking them for 5,000 men plus women and children or causing the nets to be more than full, almost sinking the boats or causing a raven to bring food like you did Elijah. There's no end to the way you can provide. (laughs) Peter catching the fish and taking the coin and paying the taxes. You're infinite. You're infinite in the way you can provide. The important thing is, Lord, is that we see your hand and we're walking in faith and and our hearts and our minds are stirred up to, to believe in faith and think in faith. And we just ask tonight as we meditate on these things that you would just stir us up to have a greater faith, to build up our faith, to to walk in faith, to be diligent in our faith. And we thank you for this in Jesus' precious name.